0: This podcast is offered to you by Zen Center North Shore on the web at www.zencenternorthshore.org. This program is made possible by donations from listeners like you.
1: So good to be here together. Edward, thank you so much for. Being with us, this is the launch of our virtual weekend with Edward Brown, who's zooming in from California with us this afternoon slash evening. Um, so, I don't know, Edward. Do you have something you want to say right away? Yes. The most important point.
0: <laughs> I mute myself before I can say anything. Um, I, you know, I do. I look okay.
1: You look, look fabulous
0: because I also have an, an, an extra camera here, which I don't know how it looks exactly, but I could put it on here if you, if you give me a moment. But that's that. I mean, well, if you want to just go ahead with this and then after our class, we could study um, the other camera. Just a minute. Let me see.
1: Okay.
0: How do you do Zoom? You do uh, Zoom support. How do you get that column on the? Oh, here, I know, which if you go up to meeting. Yeah. Or if you go to Zoom, maybe it's under preferences. Yeah, there we go, Uh, video, audio, audio. And then, uh, let's see, microphone, built-in microphone, Logitech. So, is that any better or different? No,
1: that's worse. That's worse. It sounds too echoey. You sounded great before. It was perfect. But don't mess with it.
0: I don't I don't know what, what the camera would have to do with the sound.
1: Well, the, you whatever you're doing right now is perfect. Can everybody hear Edward okay? Yeah. Yeah, your really I'll, your sound is really good.
0: The sound is good. What about the picture?
1: The picture's fabulous.
0: Oh, the picture's okay.
1: Can you see us? Because we can see you.
0: Yeah, just a moment now. I'm going to take this. Um, uh, this uh, I put up the uh, settings. The, you know, I'm not there. We go. Okay, now I can see you.
1: Oh, good. All right. <laughs> now what do we do?
0: <laughs> well, now I start speaking, uh, and then okay. and then you know, as you have your chance here, you know, I'll invite you to speak too. So. <laughs> I'm muting. Yeah. All right. Well, uh, good evening. I think that's the appropriate time of day. Good evening. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> so I like to, uh, to start with on these Zoom calls to um, take a few moments to, which we've already done in a sense by uh, meditating and sitting together. But to uh, emphasize that since uh, we're in different places, I'd like to suggest that we all take a few moments to uh, in a sense check or reaffirm our connection with the earth, the ground, that is uh, settling your weight. Onto the cushion, onto the floor, the chair, whatever you're sitting on. And the more you can settle your, the more you settle your weight onto the floor, the more you can receive the support of the earth. And then um, each of us in this sense, uh, in a very real sense, has our own earth that we're connecting with uh, where we are. And we can tune our the earth. Each of us can tune our earth to each other's earth. So I, while we were sitting, I confess, I um, I looked at you know my schedule online here to see what I was doing with you all today, because I was thinking I was giving you meditation instruction. And it said, no, 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 I'm not doing meditation instruction. I'm doing, uh, we're talking about um, how do you learn Zen when there's no teachers of Zen? (laughs) So so I'll talk about this for a little bit and then I'll invite you to uh, speak up and we can go from there. So uh, first of all, of course, you you would all be familiar with the story about the Zen teacher Wang Bo, who uh, one day said uh, to the assembly, uh, all of you gobblers of dregs, if you keep on like this, when will you have today? Haven't you heard, in all of China, there are no teachers of Zen. And, uh, monk or student came up and said, teacher, but teacher, there's hundreds of monasteries. There's thousands of monks. How can you say there are no teachers of Zen in all of China? And Wang Bo said, I didn't say there was no Zen. I said, there are no teachers of Zen. And, uh, you know, these kind of stories aren't just stories. It's reality, reality. Uh, Zen Master Dogen, for instance, says, and again, we're talking about reality, and we can talk about this also in terms of science. Uh, but uh, Zen Master Dogen said, when each uh, person is born, the entire world, the mountains and rivers, the great earth are born with them. All we have, each of us, is our own experience. Which includes, of course, how we experience other people, how we experience the earth, the sky. Um, Each of us is living in a world of our own creation. Not that, you know, and most of that creation is, you know, one uses these words loosely. Because another way to say this uh, is each of us is living in a world of gifts and we have a gift of how our world appears to us Uh, when I say scientifically my friend Polly Isendrath uh, Polly Young Isendrath has been interviewing uh, Donald Hoffman and others about the nature of reality and Donald Hoffman is a scientist who's Uh, said that many physicists are now concluding there is no such thing as time and space. Time and space are what uh, we can observe and measure. And uh, for many years, he said that scientists thought any day now we would uh, find out how matter how the material world generated consciousness. And as you might suspect, they haven't been able to do this. (laughs) Most likely, because it's not, it's not the way things are that stuff, what we can observe would generate what we can't observe. If anything, it would be the other way around. So he was part of this for many years, and now he's uh, working on an, a new theory uh, of his, um, <laughs> he's come to, uh, starting with basic building blocks of what he calls conscious agents. Anyway, we don't need to talk about that. But this is to say, all of this is to say, what kind of world do you live in? The world that you're being, not that you, you know, as an individual, as a cell but the world that you live in, what kind of world is it? And your belief in the kind of world that you live in will have something to do with how you live your life. I'm sorry, I'm kind of going back to the beginning here, but so bear with me. (laughs) You know, uh, again, science will say the light comes in your eyes, the light is converted into chemical impulses. The chemical impulses are, the the chemicals are translated into nervous impulses The nerve impulse goes to the back of your head, to your occiput, and then you see, dot dot dot, and then you see. And nobody's ever explained this, and then you see. But we do. Somehow, you know, our you know, our being, our body, our consciousness generates seeing, generates hearing, generates smells, generates tastes. And it sure looks like there's a world there and that we must be living in that world. And then we get information about how we're doing in that world. So I want to suggest that, um, you know, (laughs) well, you know, one Zen master um, said at one point, I think it was Nan Chuan uh, said, um, I tell my students to put themselves in the time before Buddha appeared in the world. Very few of them get my meaning. So the world that each of us lives in, there's, you know, there may or may not be somebody in that world that can tell us, uh, you know, how to live our life. You know, is going to tell us how to live our life, my life, when nobody else has ever been you and will never be you and can't see what you see, and can't smell what you smell, and can't think what you think, and doesn't have your experience, and who's the expert on all of that? You're the expert on everything about you. One of the examples I give people is, you know, my eyes have never seen together. I can look out of my right eye, and then I can look out of my left eye. I don't know if you can see, me doing that, but when I look out of my right eye, things are in one place and then I look out of my left eye and now they've moved. So I see two images and I don't usually see those two images at the same time, my eyes are clever enough not to give me, or my consciousness, or (laughs) whatever it is. They don't see together. Do you understand what I'm talking about? Do you know that experience? Have you had that experience? And, and then people tell me, no, 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 Ed. No, the two eyes, they see, uh, they see these uh, from slightly different angles, the same object in the same place, and then they generate a, a 3D picture. And you actually and you have uh, what we call depth perception. Okay? That's depth perception. But well, this is like me trying to tell a blind person what seeing is like. We, you know, at some point we admit, you know, like, no, you've got your own experience. And then, but then we think, oh, for, we come to various things, like, and we give way-seeking mind talks. How did I get started in Zen? And basically, you know, for the most part, it's like, well, I got to the end of the road and, you know, I had this accident, I crashed, (laughs) Um, One of my friends uh, was asked, well, when did you start meditating? And she said, oh, 15 years ago. This is now about 12 years ago, so. Anyway, and I said, and she was gonna go on and and then I said, well, what happened? And she said, my husband was diagnosed with colon cancer and given less than six months to live and we had a one-year-old baby daughter. And I had not a clue what to do, and at some point somebody said, have you tried meditating? (laughs) So she started to meditate, and it helped. So just the basic thing that we're doing of Zas and meditation is, uh, it's what uh, you know. Oftentimes, the Zen teachers, and excuse me for bringing them in here, because tentatively speaking, we'll call them Zen teachers, even though there are no teachers of Zen in all of America <laughs> or China. So we'll mention them anyway from time to time, and then, and then, you know, we can think about that further because there are no anyway. Uh, But wisdom, seeking wisdom. You know, one way of looking at the world is I'll practice and I'll study and I'll get enlightened and then I'll know what to do. But the other way of looking at it is I'm already enlightened. And because I'm enlightened, I'm going to sit down and study what to do. so which world are you, which world do you want to live in and is one of those worlds more true than the other world as far as i can tell both those worlds are equally true and if anything the idea that is it's appealing to me that all of us have this wisdom that is seeking for wisdom or you know that we have or are buddha nature and because we are have our buddha nature what are we going to do with ourselves and for some of this, us this question is pop to the surface and it seems like would it make sense to kind of just sit down and sort out what to do with myself It doesn't seem to be working to just chase after one thing after another. as though I was uh, some kind of slave to my impulses, desires and that's, huh, it's not working out all that great. I, I chase and I chase and I get one thing and then I just have to chase something else, huh? Maybe I'll just sit here. So this is called wisdom seeking wisdom. Implicit in this, then, is that this is actually, you know, quite revolutionary in its way because we all grew up thinking that mom and dad, we all learned a habitual, unconscious way to try to do what mom and dad wanted so that we didn't get in trouble, so that we Uh, you know, so that they would not boot us out, or you know, so they'd keep us around and feed us. And I mean, anyway, implicitly, we we study and know, start to know. Like we're just trying to fit in with the situation, and it makes sense to us as as small creatures with huge awareness, wide open awareness. I need to, I need to please these people. And you know, oftentimes it's, an, it's a great irony because you know, when, and probably many of you have had children, but you know, when your child's born, my daughter called me up and at some point, uh, you know, I was talking with my daughter, I have a granddaughter who's now seven. And uh, she said, Dad, I never knew you could love somebody so much. I never knew until my daughter was born. So most of us were loved like that. And then about six months or a year later, she says, she, I'm talking to her on the phone, she says, Dad, how come nobody tells you how difficult this is? And at some point we all come to like how difficult this is, and then what are we going to do? And this is you know this, so then we uh, sit, and will the Zen teachers help you? Help you? All the Zen teaching in the world will it help you to live with that difficulty, that this is. I don't know about you, but I haven't found any teachings that help. And in fact, you know, when I was about 21, uh, at a session with Suzuki Rishi, he said, the difficulties that you are now experiencing will continue for the rest of your life. And we all laughed. Because we thought he was going to say, "The difficulties you are now experiencing will continue until you get enlightened, until you come to some deeper understanding, uh, until you uh, have some realization, until you gain more knowledge, till you study, till you've sat some more," and no, the difficulties will continue. And I laughed too because I thought oh, come on, that's for those other beings, those other lesser students. I'm a better student than that. I will surely find a way out of this difficulty or a a way to lessen this difficulty. I don't know about you, but it's only gotten worse. And the teaching, you know, let it come, let it go. Uh, Be mindful, sit some more, sit some more. It's hard to be a human being. (laughs) And, you know, I've known this all my life, but some people, you know, it took COVID-19 and they're like, oh, oh, it turns out this is difficult. Like, oh, oh, this is a surprise. I didn't realize that it could be this difficult. And uh, others of us are like the, you know, after COVID started in March, somebody sent me that cartoon. You may have seen it. There's the Zen master and he's somewhat Asian looking, but he's got on a bright yellow uh, uh, robe and he's got his hands in Zazen posture. And it says Zen master before coronavirus. And then the same picture, the same monk, and it says, send master after coronavirus. <laughs> so, um, I'll just say a, a little bit more. There's so much to talk about in this subject, but I just to say a little bit more. Partly this is just a study of what kind of world uh, do we live in. And again, the kind of world we live in is the kind of world that you, that each of us is habitually and largely unconsciously generating. And as we experience things uh, in, in Buddhism and in Zen, the understanding is as you experience things beyond your thinking or in the gaps between your thinking, that uh, fresh and clear and direct experience will inform your being so that you start to generate the world a little differently. So uh, you wake up, by waking up. Um, Anyway, just to remind you, of course, uh, you know, some uh, spiritual traditions will let you know that you cannot be trusted. If we left you on your own, you would get into trouble. It's sometimes called, you know, sin. You would sin. If we didn't tell you what to do and you didn't obey the instructions, uh, you would sin. You would get into trouble. (laughs) You would do terrible things. You would be out there, you know, being selfish and greedy and, you know, hurting other people. And, you know, so you need to do what we say. And not do what we don't, you know, we tell you not to do it, don't do it. So, as you know, Buddhism isn't like this, only it turns out it is like this because you can take the precepts and then use the precepts to tell yourself what to do and what not to do and so on. But that's a different subject We're not talking about that today. (laughs) But, you know, Buddhism is uh, largely speaking, you know, considered to be in a, uh, a tradition, not so much that you need to be told what to do, but that you have the capacity to find out what to do by observing things very carefully and closely. That each of us has this capacity. My daughter is born and I, oh, my God, I didn't realize you could love somebody this much. Or, I had no idea this was so difficult and hard. I had no idea. Why doesn't anybody tell you? You know, and if anybody had told us, you know, it probably wouldn't, you know, we'd probably think like I did when I was 21. Oh, that's other people. I I will love my child enough that I don't have the kind of problems that other people have. But, you know, you get taught, you're, you're tired. You're kept, you know, you don't get to sleep. You don't get to, you don't get to eat. You don't get exercise. You're, you're constantly, all your attention is going to your baby. And what do you do? How do you survive? How do you, and, and then the baby's absorbing all of that. You are the baby. (laughs) That's absorbing everything that's going on. And you have limited capacity what to do with that, all of that. Uh, Oh, you know, so anyway, uh, I just wanna remind you that Zen and Buddhism is this tradition of, that you can study for yourself and what you're studying for yourself is to experience your own experience closely enough to learn from your experience and that we're, we have that capacity. And so as much as anything you're studying, how do I learn in my experience? Because we all learn things differently. And in a different style, we have different learning styles. And this is uh, you know, basic and implicit in a lot of uh, spiritual traditions and, and traditional cultures all over the world that as we grow up, we can go through initiation and we can be introduced to the world that is not the world of how we need to behave to please the authorities, the grown-ups, the parents, the teachers, the school, the friends, not that we can grow up, not just to try to please and fit in, but to realize our own gifts and begin to allow the teaching of life, life's teaching to flow through us and out into the world as we're generating the world. Anyway, uh, enough said, perhaps, um, there's certainly more to talk about here, Um, but I'm curious um, how you're taking all this in and if if it makes any sense to you, if it's any use to you, you'd rather be somewhere else this afternoon you've had it with these Zen teachers who tell you that there's not Zen teachers and but then seem to think that they're a Zen teacher and you know I don't know so where are you at now folks and uh, you probably get the, to raise a blue hand or something um, or maybe you just start talking and unmute yourself I don't know how this works um, or if yeah, you going to jump in <laughs> or if you have a Zoom protocol here at sense We don't.
1: We don't have a protocol. And um, first of all, thank you so much. Uh, it's. I could. I would love to listen to more of you personally you know before before opening it up but I, I do want to make sure that if anybody has a burning question or anything you'd really like to ask well,
0: we want to know if you're with me you know and you want to hear more or if you have some question of what we've you know where we're where where, we're, where we've been so far
1: okay this is before, this is we, you
0: know, we're okay. before we go further if there's something okay. to be
1: clarified okay Oh, we have a... Do you see this, Ed? We have a chat. We have a vote. Oh, yeah, you have a chat. Can you read that? Do you know how to access chat?
0: Yeah, I've got the chat up here. It says, from Vicki to everyone, more from Ed, please. <laughs> and I can even read that without my glasses. You know, I'm, I'm practicing. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm now living in a different world. I thought, you know, I was living in the world of reality, you know, because we send people, practice seeing things the way they are. And it makes it sound like there is a way that things are. But actually, but I'm coming to conclude that the way things are is that you get to have an ongoing communication with the way things are about how they could be different than they are. And that you could ask for what you want. And you could have, you could ask for help. From the everything, which is another word for the absolute, or the um, the dark. You know, I don't know. We have all these words for these things: the absolute, the the nothing, the emptiness um, that you could ask for help. So. Um, uh, and, you know, and then, uh, you know, I didn't, I, I, I got this from somebody who's not a Zen teacher, but who's the, the best Zen teacher I ever had who's not a Zen teacher. <laughs> so I, you know, I got out of the Zen center, you know, first of all, okay, so I, <laughs> you know, I started practicing Zen in 1965. So more than 50 years ago now. So you'd think, wouldn't, wouldn't you have gotten somewhere by now? And I'm afraid not. I'm afraid I'm one of those Zen people like, I have, I have not gotten anywhere. I, and, and, you know, again, I, I, you know, when they say, you know, practice and without any gaining idea, Oh, well, so well and good to say, but I had plenty of gaining ideas. I thought I'd get enlightened. And if you got enlightened, then you can tell other people where it was at and they couldn't tell you. And wouldn't that be cool? I mean, I didn't want to have people telling me where it was at and like, oh, okay. Yeah, you're right. I apologize. Um, but to this day, there's then people who, you know, put me there and like, okay, you're right. I apologize. Um, anyway, never mind. Um, but, um, <clears throat> so I started in 1965 and I haven't gotten anywhere. <sighs> uh, and on the other hand, you know, I've, uh, you know, as, um, uh, another, uh, for me, classics Zen teaching is a uh, Suzuki Rishi saying over and over again. And even though you, uh, uh, won't get anything you'll learn a lot <laughs> it just it just won't be you know particularly useful for your resume and good for much anyway I was an institutionalized person Zen student for twenty years do you understand that word institutionalized so you do you you follow the schedule and you have your body in a certain place at a certain time doing a certain thing or will come looking for you. That kind of Zen person is also known as committed. Do you understand the word committed? There's two meanings to committed. One is I was deeply committed to Zen practice and the other is I was not capable of living out in the world, so I committed myself to the Zen Center. (laughs) Now, most of us, frankly, you know, we go through, I mean, if I may be so bold (laughs) to suggest this, but most of us start practicing Zen because, you know, our projections have been falling apart. And you know, the way you re-own projections is, and projections is another word for the shadow. The way to re-own your, own, your shadow, the, all the things that you put into the, into the basement, let's use the basement, you know. That's one metaphor. A German Zen teacher, Ermgard Schlogel, used the metaphor of the basement, you know. You've got this uh, lovely, um, happy, exuberant, playful puppy. And the puppy loves to run around and play, and uh, it has just a great time. And then uh, you get a little older, and then people are going like, sit still, behave yourself, contain yourself. So what do you do with that puppy? You put the puppy down in the basement. Because you've got to be a grown-up. You, you know, It's expected of you. You've got to grow up. It's what we're here to do. And I used to ask my daughter, you don't want to grow up, do you? You're such a lovely, beautiful. Just, I love you so much. You're just great the way, no, dad, I'm going to grow up. Oh, no. (laughs) You can't help it. Even if you want to, you know, so you put the puppy in the basement. When you put your puppy in the basement, do you know what happens? The puppy starts to whine and fuss. This is classic what happens with mammals. When you disown or basement your puppy or put it in the shadow in the bag, you stuff it, you stuff it, put it in the bag. And you stuff all that and you, your playfulness and your exuberance and your your capacity to enjoy yourself and your and the the way that you can talk and you know. Be, be silly and goofy and um, you put it in the basement. And when you put something in the basement like that, then you start, then it starts to whine and fuss and sometimes cry. And then if it gets attention, okay, that's fine. But instead of that, you know, if you're growing up, you move up a story, move up to the second floor. So you can't hear the dog in the basement, the poor thing. Oh, we don't want to hear that. Uh, you know, don't don't cry, don't be sad, don't be scared, don't worry, you're growing up now, remember? So nobody wants to hear any of that stuff. Not nobody, but you know, just for the sake of talk. (laughs) Nobody wants to hear it. (laughs) So what happens then? At some point, you know, then your, your dog in the basement can get really loud. It gets louder and louder. Then you move up another story. Maybe you get up to the third story. At some point, you're up in the attic. And the attic is otherwise known as der Kopf, Kopf, the head, <laughs> you live in your head. And then in the meantime, down in the basement, Uh, You've got all this, uh, you know, great spirit, bright energy, you know, in the, in the basement. And, you know, and sometimes it can be kind of depressed because what happens to any of us as mammals, uh, if you don't get attention with the crying and the screaming and the raging, then you go into despair and despondency, And in the meantime, of course, the person up in the head doesn't know what the hell to do, and sometimes goes on grand things. And by the age of forty, you can be at the, top of the, at the top of the ladder and realize you've had the ladder up the wrong wall. And you just and you didn't you didn't get anything out of the basement yet, but you you got somewhere in your life. But it's it didn't help you with the, all the stuff in the basement, and you start to realize like, oh my god, how do I how do I do this? So then one thing you can do is to remind yourself that all that stuff in the basement, you should leave there. And, and if you do a spiritual practice, you can get to leave it there because your spiritual practice will tell you that all of that, what you do in this spiritual practice is you sit still and you have your own space and you be quiet and you don't move and you sit still and you don't talk to anybody. Nobody talks to you. You don't touch anybody. Nobody touches you. And, and, and then you'll be able to keep all that stuff in the basement even better. You got me. Are you with me here? <laughs> so that's called committed institutionalized Zen practice. Been there, done that. I'm suggesting, you know, I did that for 20 years, you don't have to. I'm you know, I'm here to say as your as your um temporary, you know, non-zen Zen teacher, I'm here to say you don't have to do that. You could you could actually start decide like, oh, what's going on down there? And that's another way of thinking about meditation is Zen, Suzuki you would say, Zen is to settle the self, the one up here in the head, and then he point to his hara on the self. The thing of it is, is that all that material and stuff in the basement, which is otherwise known as the hara, or you know, the second chakra, the area of the second chakra, three fingers below your navel, uh, there's a lot going on down there, and there's a lot of residual information which is not exactly, you know, the teaching that you were looking for or the new life energy that you
2: wanted,
0: <laughs> that you were hoping for. <laughs> You've got to sort, you know, you get down in the basement and it's, it's, it's basement work. And there's a lot of junk down there. And you go like, oh, what is this? And what is this? And, oh, my God, I left this here? Ooh. And look at it now—it's so rotten and filthy—and like—and you've got to find a way to compost it all, and, and you know sort through, you know—and and it's 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 terrible, you know. there's all this basement work. Um, but anyway, if you're lucky, um, you start to realize that there's a great, there's a lot of great energy here, and a lot of great spirit, and a lot of great resources, and um, I could, I could use some of this in my life. So just briefly, you know, for instance, um, (laughs) how do we learn anything, okay? How do we learn anything really? Do you want to open up a book and have them tell you how to do you better than you know how to do you? Maybe so but it only goes so far for the head to get started. Oh, these instructions didn't work. Let me find some other instructions. It's like people trying to diet. Oh, come on, you know? And so another approach instead of like getting another plan is follow the resistance. (laughs) So one day I was sitting and you know how we sit. I'm gonna practice Zen now and sit up straight. And I've got my hands in the right posture and I've got my chin in and I'm growing tall up to the crown and, and I've got a string hanging me down and, you know, whatever, and lengthening me up or however, you know, you're, you happen to be visualizing it at the time. And then a little voice inside goes, this is really stupid. I said, no, no, it's not stupid. This is Zen. It's stupid. It is so stupid. I can't believe that you're making me do this. I said, no, this isn't stupid. It's sin. It's spiritual. This is a spiritual practice. And we are endeavoring to practice the Buddha's way. And the voice says, you idiot. You are such an idiot. I can't believe you. We're doing this. This is so stupid. <laughs> I don't know. Do you have conversations like this? Then, Then what do you do, you know? who gets to have a voice around here anyway? We're, we have a, now the whole culture is going like, oh, who gets to have a voice? Who gets to be heard? Does Do I get to be heard? Does anybody care what I think? Well, a voice inside me said, this is stupid. This is stupid. This sin practice is stupid. And so finally, um, I was trying to explain how it wasn't stupid and that it was spiritual and that we were, we were going to be attaining the way any second now and a a great breakthrough into, you know, whatever, um, we want to call it. Um, I like the expression, the summit of the mystic peak, we would be arriving any moment Um, or, you know, all the universe is one bright bright pearl. How do you understand that? What need is there to understand? And um, anyway, (laughs) <laughs> uh, I've branched out now, you know, not just then, but, you know, Rumi poems and so on, you know, so um, <laughs> Rumi says, um, stories water the body, all the things we, oh, he says, uh, the body itself is a screen to shield and partially reveal the light that's blazing inside your presence. Anyway, that's what happened. You know, I finally said to the voice, okay, all right, you think what I'm doing is really stupid. How would you do it? You don't like the way I'm meditating. You don't like this this practice that, that we're doing, this spiritual. If you don't like the way I'm doing it, how would you do it? And this huge energy came into me like, where do you think that energy comes from? You know, it's not true that we only use, you know, half of our energy. We use 95, we use all of our energy. We use 95% to restrain that other 5%. It takes a lot of energy to restrain, you know, the part of you that would hum with energy and vitality. And you need a lot of good spiritual truths and a lot of Zen teachers telling you what to do and what not to do and to reinforce all that you got from your parents and your teachers and your friends growing up about how you should be in order to be a good citizen of our material world and buy our products and watch what you want to watch when you want to watch it. (laughs) Download whatever music you want. Oh, you might have to have a job to have the money to pay us for all these things. Don't worry about that. We've got some really crappy jobs that you can have without even a college education. Only we're gonna replace you with artificial intelligence any day now. Um, anyway, uh, I'm sorry. Um, <laughs> um, anyway, how you how we get this energy and exuberance of that, reowning our, 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 our great life is, you know, you have to, you have to, you, you ask it, you, you who I'm not just here to tell you what to do and how to be from my head. I don't know how to, what I'm doing. I don't know. Please help me. You show me how you would sit if it was up to you. And I'm full of energy, an explosion of energy. I didn't do that. I didn't figure that out. I asked for help from the resistance. So this is true, you know, this with every each moment, you know, cause we keep thinking like, it's up to me to generate equanimity, mindfulness, compassion, stillness, uh, concentration. And if I do that well enough, I'll live in a beautiful picturesque universe, won't I? Uh, Because I will have manifested all this great practice. But all the time, the world is just being given to us. It's a great gift. And, And actually, when you think about it, I used to have arguments like this, too, not just with, you know, my resistance and some voice that said, I don't like this. I said, well, what would you how would you do it? And, you know, you notice like I didn't say, OK, tell me what you want to do and we'll go, I'll go do that with you. No, I said, no, 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 we're sitting here and you're going to show me how you would do this sitting here. Not how you would do, like, if it was just up to you to dream up some wise-ass thing to do out there in the world that you think would be entertaining or fun. No, no, no. We're not going there, okay? (laughs) Anyway, so I used to have these arguments with my, you know, what about your hips? Who knows better how to be hips? You, up here in your head, or your hips? And my hips used to remind me and they, they try to be polite. Your body's all the time trying to like, do what you tell it. But you know, it's kind of depressing. Like your hands, your hips, your hands. Your hands, who knows better how to be hands? You or your hands? Your hands are exquisitely better at being hands than you up in your head. No. And what do you know about being hands? What do you know about, about being hips? What do you know about breathing? Your breath knows infinitely better how to breathe. So you, sweetheart, how's it going? Ready to inhale yet? Still exhaling? Okay. When you're ready to inhale, I'm with you. I'll, I'll follow along with you, yeah. Oh, sweet, let's inhale now, okay. Is that enough? Oh, all right, it's kind of slow, but fine, okay. And you just are following and you're allowing your breath to know better how to breathe than you are, than you up in your head. And we have all these ideas in our head. So I studied, you know, so rather than Zen teachers, well, I mean, here's your Zen teacher, you know, you've got a hand to be the Zen teacher for your hands. You've got breath to be the Zen teacher for your breath. You've got a heart to be the Zen teacher for your heart. And you ask them how, they, how to do it. <laughs> but, you know, if we're not careful, like you might actually try to find a Zen teacher who tells you how to behave. Uh-oh. <laughs> Good luck. <laughs> all right. Um, so I have a lot of stories about all of these things, but um, I'll tell you one hand story, okay? Speaking of hands. After I got out of Zen Center, it's only when I got out of 20 years of institutionalized Zen practice, I realized that I was a traumatized person. And then, you know, at some point it's like, is that like everybody? Only we don't generally admit it? Or... Are there some actual grown-ups out there? Anyway, I've spent my life seeing if I can find some grown-ups out there. And uh so I had a lot of trouble with my hands for a long time because I'd look at my hands and I'd say, Oh my god, these aren't my hands. And I was one time with a therapist, and most of the therapists, and you know, most grown-ups, they say, well, of course those are your hands. Whose hands would they be? They must be your hands. Look at that. They're at the end of your arms and your arms are at the end of your, on top of your shoulders there, where they, right where they belong. Those must be your hands. It's the same thing. Like if somebody's dying and you try to tell them, then they say, oh, I, I don't know why I can't be in my house. And you try to say, well, this is your house. And then they and then at some point you go like, well, where where are you? My father wasn't, Of course he wasn't in the house. Uh, Of course it wasn't his house. He was in Carson City. It's where he met. It's where he got married to my birth mother. She was waiting for him when he was dying. I mean, come on. So what is the reality? Anyway, so one day I'm working with my hands on one of my hands on healing uh, people, Barbara Jean. And I said to Barbara Jean, hey, Barbara Jean, you know, these aren't my hands. And bless her heart, you know what she said? Oh, whose are they? Like, well, duh, some big persons. There's some big person's hands. And then, and then again, bless her heart, you know, and then she said, and where are yours? And I felt around and I said, Well, in the elbows. (laughs) And so it's, it's not just, you know, so we have these parts of ourselves that are different ages and different places, different times, different space. And we're trying to see if we're setting out, how do you, you have to find them before you can get them in the same place at the same time. But I was doing some kind of 20 years of getting them in the same place at the same time without even knowing what I was doing. And just leaving them where they were to, to look like I was you know doing something anyway, I had to study for years you know how do, you, how do I stretch out these little hands from the elbows into the big hands or you know bring the big hands down into the little hands, have the little hands and the big hands in the same place? That to me is called liberation.) <laughs> That's that's liberation. Liberation isn't something you understand in your head. It's actually studying what's going. It's re inhabiting yourself enough to start to know, like, oh, how do I have, how do I, have, how do I get the consciousness that could be in my hands in my hands, such that my hands can really be hands? How do I do that? And you know, largely there's. Nobody, nobody really can tell you. Somebody can hold your big hand and then say, your little hand's not here. Could you bring your little hand here? And then when your little hand's there, oh, that's good. Thank you. Yeah. Hello, little hand. And they'll be able to do that. But then, but then to keep your little hand there in your big hand, it is so scary, Something could happen if you didn't just keep your little stuff in hiding. <laughs> just saying. <laughs> anyway, that's one. That's one example of, you know, a small body. It's not just uh, con- con- conscious stuff. It's not just your puppy in the basement. Your childhood exuberance, your energy, your vitality, your creativity. Uh, you know, we we put all that stuff away. How do you how do you get it back? How do you how are you going to you know re yourself and 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 uh, you know uh, the word in liber in, in Zen is liberation. And you know, there's a Zen teacher, for instance, who said, uh, you know, someone asked uh, one of the ancestors how do I attain liberation? And the teacher said, and who put you in bondage? And what kind of bondage are you in? And that is an intense, uh, you know, study and it's a study of a lifetime and maybe more than one. Ah. Uh, so excuse me for going on and on again, but I, um, Maybe uh, somebody has uh, something you want to bring up at this point and uh, uh, share with the rest of the group. I don't know what time it is. Uh, Oh, maybe, oh, my clock there says 5.11, 8.11. So we have a few minutes. Um, I'm happy to entertain uh, comments, questions, observations, uh, CARPs, criticisms, compliments, Uh, you know, see if anybody has something to bring up, say, express, you know, I'm not the only one around here who you know, gets to say anything and it's so hard to listen to, you know, it's so hard for anybody in authority to listen to anybody who's not in authority, but I'd like to invite you, you know, if you have any problem with what I'm talking about or if we, you know, John...
2: Yes, hi. Um, so uh, maybe there are no Zen teachers, but are there in fact cooking teachers? And more importantly, what are you cooking in the midst of the pandemic when it's
0: hard to get to the grocery store? Um, well, it's the same thing, you know, that one of the problems with being a Zen teacher is, you, you know, to be a teacher, you have to have students. So to be a, a cooking teacher, I would have to have students. And, you know, it's really hard to find students most because mostly people already know what they're doing so a couple things here but um you know uh after the pandemic started i've been um just to give you a little bit of background <laughs> life is so crazy john uh, and all of you but you know um I don't want to go. I don't want to, you know, you know, go ancient history or anything. But, you know, when the pandemic started, um, I got an invitation to come live uh, here in uh, uh, Philo, California, and I have a beautiful house. A beautiful house. It has a fabulous view. There's a huge meadow. Uh, there's a ridge with trees across the way. There's vineyards out there, and and they do the cooking. And I don't go to the grocery store. And in fact, I'm not allowed. You know, every so often, they have serious protocols here. You know, so when we first got here, uh, Margot and I, when we first got here, you know, 17 days in quarantine. 14 days wasn't enough because they said, well, you might, your clothes still might be infected or you might have left something on something. So we we need to really clean your room and space. And anyway, 17 days of quarantine and then we could walk around and join the community and go to meals. In the meantime, they were bringing the food, and they they leave it on a stool outside our door. And then they knock on the door. And by the time you can get to the door and open the door to say thank you, they're fifteen feet away. You know, practicing social distancing. You know, so um, so we we got through quarantine, and uh, and uh, and so now if we go out like we went down to. Fairfax, uh, a week or so ago, to pick a fruit from our trees. And they fill up the car with gas. And then the protocols are, you know, you don't stop at gas stations, you don't go to grocery stores, you don't go to drug stores, you don't go into stores. Because we don't trust you to have your handy wipe with you or your gloves on. They did give us permission the last trip, that last trip, the battery on my computer failed. And I got such great apple care, and I still had the apple care warranty three-year. So they gave us special permission to go to the Apple store in the Santa Rosa Mall. And we, you know, so we wore our masks and we had on gloves and we kept our distance from people. And and they trust, you see, they don't trust me. But Margot, Margus's, says, Margus's. Says, if there's any breach in protocol, I will report to you and own up to it. And they said, oh, okay, Margo, we trust you to do that. Okay. We would never trust Ed to do that. But if you keep an eye on him. <laughs> but in the meantime, they these people are doing these. <laughs> they were doing one that we went to one. The last one they did was in February. They they get hold of a restaurant in the Tenderloin in San Francisco. And they're doing something called Love to Table. So they made uh, food and they had me make the menu. And it was a uh, Mexican uh, chili tomato sauce with um, Pasilla chilies, uh, no, with New Mexico chilies and then ground, roasted ground sesame seeds and fresh cilantro. And then these uh, grilled chicken thighs, uh, this no r- roasted uh, chicken thighs roasted with this sauce, and then um, oh, and then we did the spinach with bananas uh, and sesame seeds, um, and then there was another dish. Oh, and then there was some polenta. So the there was the chicken thigh, but then so this is at a restaurant in the tender line, Okay, I don't know if you know that, but you know it's the it's the heart of the wayward part of San Francisco. You know, homeless people up and down the sidewalks. So this was a meal that they get this restaurant and then they feed the homeless. Not just feeding them, but a sit down meal. So the first thing, so while we're setting up and you know, to serve the food, people were going out to talk to homeless people and say, you know, hi, I'm Margot, And Margo, Margot likes to think of herself as being talented at this, but one of the women from the land, Chelsea, was introducing herself and saying, hi, and how are you? And would you like, are you hungry? Would you like a meal? We're serving lunch in a few minutes, at, you know, at such and such a corner. and And they say, yes, I'm hungry. That would be great. And then, you know, for your meal, we'd like you to share something with us that you have done for your community, for a friend or for yourself to take care of yourself, your friend or your community. And then would people would say, yeah, you know, I shared my bottle of water or, you know, I knew this couple and um, they wanted a place to make love. So I, I let them use my, my room. I mean, all kinds of stuff, you know. And then if they shared something like that, they get a token, it says free meal. And they bring that to the door of the restaurant I'm laughing because Margo, it was Margo's turn to do this, and she got flustered and didn't know what to say to this. And she said "I was that she was talking to people that she normally would cross the street not to talk to. Her. And she's saying, um, she started talking, and then she said, oh, this, I don't know how to do this. Chelsea, could you do this? And the man sitting on the street there pointed at me he said, No, I want you, I want you to talk to me. What do you think that there's something wrong with me that you don't talk to me? I'm a graduate of UC Berkeley. (laughs) And anyway, so Margo and Chelsea, and Chelsea turns to Margo and says, Margo, you better listen, that's the voice of God. (laughs) Anyway, so we serve this meal and you know, when they get to the door and they come in, there, there's a hostess to take them to a table and seat them, and then uh, somebody comes with a menu, in case they want the vegetarian or they don't want the cheese or. Um, and uh, and then they get and they get a glass of water, and then they and then at some time the food is brought, and then there was a dessert with uh, it was a, a lovely um, panna cotta you know, uh, Italian custard. Uh, and they served, we served um, about 170, 180 meals, three three sittings, you know, and then, and one man came into the first sitting, he never left. He just went to, he put his head down on the table and went to sleep. So nobody, you know, only, so anyway, and then we had one security uh, woman, security woman, and she would watch people's bikes outside, you know, if they were worried about them and stuff, anyway. So these people have this love to table. So now I'm involved with love to table and now love to table uh, is for a homeless shelter in Santa Rosa. So we we're cooking about 140 meals a week. Uh, and on Tuesdays we take um, lunch or dinner, whatever it is, is for 140 people. And, uh, it, and then they put it in the containers and over the afternoon uh, people come in and get food. So this week, um, so Anyway, two things. One, so so I'm making up menus for the table, and this week it's uh, they they were given two cases of kohlrabi, so I decided to make a sort of a traditional kohlrabi with a white sauce, and um, and then with that we made uh, some purple cabbage, red cabbage with. They like to include some meat in these things, although then we also do a vegetarian one. Uh, so it was a red cabbage with turkey and uh, garlic and what have you. And then, um, anyway, so I'm making, I'm participating in the love to table for the lunches, but my big job and my real love is using the leftovers. So I go into the walk-in and we've used up, you, you know, we've used sometimes more than 30 containers of leftovers and we make, you know, with our 30 containers of leftovers, we make uh, five, six, seven different dishes. You know, we take the leftover beet salad with the leftover tomato salad, uh, with the leftover, you know, fruit salad, and it becomes a beet tomato fruit salad. And then we, we, re, we reimagine, you know, the dressing that would go on this to kind of bring it together, you know? Um, so anyway, so uh, we, we try to use up the leftovers. And the other thing I'm doing is I am, I'm teaching them, you know, speaking of, you know, are there any students? First of all, I have to get them to turn off the music. Because I'd say, you know, the music's on. I can't talk to you. How, How do you hear each other? How do you talk to each other? So, so now if I'm coming to cook, there's no music. And then I said, you know, they've got these shelves and these racks and they've taken all this stuff through the dishwasher machine, but then it's sitting out on these racks and these blue or beige plastic things and all the dishes and pots and pans. And I say, and you know, I'm gonna come in a half hour early so I can empty all of this. Cause I don't, I don't want, cause I want to be able to wash things as we go along. And if, and if all the things, all the racks to use to wash things are full of other things I can't do that. So we need, so they said, okay, we'll empty everything. We'll empty everything before you get here. So little by little, we don't call it sin. We don't call it spiritual. (laughs) They're just trying to keep me happy and and, and have me participate with them. Anyway, sorry to go on like that, but there you have it. Um, But it's like anything else, you know. um, uh, uh, Zen Master Tenke said, um, see with your eyes, smell with your nose, taste with your tongue. Nothing in the universe is hidden. What else would you have me say? And of course, what you really want him to say is, how do I get this to come out the way that I want it to be? How do I get that to happen like that? And and that's not a secret that there's no such thing as getting things to be the way that you want them. You want them to be. There's no. There's no way to do that. There's uh, seeing what there is to see. There's thinking your thoughts, feeling your feelings, and you have. An, and then your creativity arises to work with the circumstances. And you, and you, and and so I, I, uh, when I go to cook, you know, and then, but I do the same if I go to the store, but you know, I I keep track of what's in the refrigerator and, you know, and and what to use. And then uh, people bring stuff, like here, we got um, two cases of kohlrabi, it's a great vegetable. Um, so uh, what's nice about this is that so many more people are cooking, actually, rather than, you know, rather than going out, that people are having to cook. And apparently, you know, it's kind of become a thing to do. Um, so there you have it. Um, thank you, John. Uh, something else this, this afternoon? We have a few more minutes. I'm sorry. You know, it doesn't take much to keep get me going on a whole other talk. So...
1: Please don't apologize, Edward. This is so wonderful. But we do have time if anybody has a a quick question before we chant the Pali Refuges to end for tonight. And and to not forget, Ed, you can pace yourself. We have you the whole weekend.
0: Oh, yeah, I have lots more to talk about, so don't (laughs) don't have to worry.
1: So you had said at one point something, because you did mention the precepts, and there are several people here who have either received the precepts recently through Zen Center North Shore, or are studying to receive the precepts in the coming months, and so maybe tomorrow night, as you had told me months ago when we first started talking about this, something about Suzuki Roshi, something about connecting zazen with the precepts.
0: Oh yeah.
1: Maybe yeah. that's planting a little seed. I could
0: I could um, just say briefly. <laughs> I, I just started reading, by the way, and you know, I don't get around to things always the way I should, you know. Probably should as his end teacher. But, and especially since Zikarishi is my, my, my teacher. Um, but I'm, I'm rereading, uh, or maybe reading for the first time, I'm not sure, Branching Streams, Flow in the Darkness, Zikarishi's Talks on the Sandokai. Uh, which are kind of... It sounds like he knows what he's talking about, but it's hard to know what he's talking about. But anyway, what he said about the precepts, and this is in the talk that he had about observing the precepts, which I edited for the the book of his talks called Not Always So. Um, You know, the secret of Zen um, in uh, two words is not always so. And then he said, whoops, three words in English and Japanese, it's two words. (laughs) Um, But in that uh, lecture, he says that and this, anyway, in that lecture, he says that there's two, there's two basic ways to understand or follow the precepts. There's what we call the positive way, and there's the negative way. And this is actually related to what I was talking about of the understanding that you need to be told what to do and what not to do. And then you can see how well you do at doing what you're told to do, and how well you do at not doing what you're told not to do, and how well are you doing at that way. So that's the negative way of following the precepts. You actually study how do I actually follow that and do that and what's not doing that and I try to keep track of all that. And he said, uh, you know, there's some usefulness to that way of study, especially for newer students. Uh, And then he said, um, the positive way of following the precepts is that you're trying to express your true nature. And his his understanding was that when you sit zazen, uh, you are expressing your true nature, and uh, you know you're not speaking, you're not moving, you're not you know you're not breaking any precepts. Then when you get up, uh, it may be that you're breaking precepts. So, but he said the aim then as you go through your day is how do i express my true nature or you know oneness with everything or uh, you know because uh, each of us again each of us is the face of everything the face of the uh you know the, the whole mountains rivers the great earth each of us is an expression of everything, and which says, which also means that each of us is, uh, you know, absolute value. It's not relative value, it's not compared to others, which is our usual understanding who has more money, less money, who, who follows the precepts better, and who doesn't follow them as well. And, you know, so that's, uh, but each of us has uh, absolute value, and we're aiming to express or share our true nature. This in other traditions is, you know, how do you share your, the gift of your presence? And you, on one hand, the gift of your presence is your attention, just like giving your attention to your breath, to your hips, to your hands, as I mentioned, you give your attention to your friends, to your cooking, you give attention to your children, to your spouse, and you see if you can give the fullness and richness of that attention in such a way that the object of your attention comes alive. Your attention, with your attention, you're bringing out the best in the object of your awareness. You, you, you're helping your breath to fulfill itself, your hands to fulfill themselves, your friend to fulfill themselves. So all the time your, your true nature has that aim to bring out the best in the object. And then some of us, you know, will discover that we have a gift for cooking uh, you know, or uh, one thing or another, some people, you know, and sometimes we discover these things when we're 10 or 11 or seven. Uh, and then sometimes we, uh, we, re, uh, you know, we rediscover them, uh, you know, later in our life and we remember. Um, but sometimes we have a gift for, you know, listening to people and people become therapists because other people, just really wanted, you know. I have a friend who's a therapist. She said, "When I was eight, my mother and I were at a restaurant, and the woman at the next table spent half an hour telling us about her life." And my, afterwards, my mother said, "What was that?" And I said, "I don't know. She wanted to tell me about her life." She becomes a therapist. So, so we have on one hand just the gift of our attention, bringing things alive, awakening, helping things awaken, come alive, and then we may have a specific gift. Uh, you know to to be a teacher or to be a parent or to be a mother or to you know um, uh, to, uh, to study emotions or to, to work with feelings and um, anyway, all kinds of things. Uh, so um, uh, so in the sense there's that sense of how do I offer? My, uh, and you know, we could also call that my good heart. How do I share my good heart with the world? So it's not looking at the precepts. So that's the positive way of I see if I, I'm aiming to express myself fully. And then uh, what he said was sometimes you know people you know sometimes you feel like oh I need to apologize because that that I missed the mark with that. So your aim is always to express your good heart. Or your your good your your good nature, uh, and and that's following the precepts. Uh, and then you um, uh, and you don't anyway. That's enough for now this afternoon.
1: That's a good little uh, sneak preview, maybe for tomorrow night. Maybe we'll be we'll be um, reconvening as a group. Please join in if you can tomorrow evening same thing six thirty east coast time zazen yeah. followed by an expanded special intro to zen meditation practicing beginner's mind with ed tomorrow evening and then um saturday afternoon a book reading ed has a book out called um the most important point which most i read in, the most important thing point and, wait what what
0: the most important point the oh, most yeah important thing is a book by (laughs) Shanti.
1: I didn't read that one I read the most important
0: point is the book by um it's it's so to speak by me but you know my my student disciple Danny Parker listened to 300 of my talks and picked out some and, and edited them and put them in a book and then it's my book
1: and it's when you read it, you hear Ed's voice now that you've met him, if this is your first time meeting him. And I laughed and laughed. I, I really enjoyed that. So we're looking forward to that on Saturday afternoon. And then Sunday, an all day retreat, a little bit modified schedule than we usually do, beginning at nine thirty on Sunday and going until five thirty that Ed will be leaving, leading. So Ed, you know, thank you so much for being with us. I'm very excited. You're right. And
0: I I uh I think I probably should have tried, you know, gallery view. There you see, I, if I had had gallery view on, I could see all of you at the same time. Oh. oh, nice. I didn't have the right screen on. Well,
1: now you know, you can try it again tomorrow.
0: Yeah, I'll, 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 I'll get the.
1: So, Edward, may I ask you, um, Emily has pulled up in the chat, the polyrefuges, refuges. And yeah, we can do that. And, and Edward, how do you feel about, would you be willing to lead us in those?
0: I don't know. What does that mean?
1: It, it I mean, means I all mean, you,
0: you all do you all, do, you all uh, do we all unmute ourselves?
1: No, we all mute ourselves and you're the only one miked. So we would hear your voice.
0: Well, do you sing it?
1: Yeah we do it just like the usual you know the usual I don't,
0: I don't know I, you know people do it slightly differently. I, I sing it uh, you know the way that I sing it and I don't oh, know if- please. And I don't know if it's the way that, is, that, is, that you usually sing it.
1: Well, it's going to be the way
0: we're That's going to sing back it. That. You know, I'm, I'm out here on the land in Philo, California with some, some other renegades and, you know, wayward people, people from the world who, you know, made a home with each other and, you know, gone through 14 days of quarantine and, you know.
1: I think we can know, handle figuring
0: it. Out it so, okay. So, I'll uh, yeah, I could do that.
1: Okay. <clears throat>
0: Uh just a moment though, don't I need to um
2: uh oh. Udam Saranam Gachami Dharamam Saranam Gachami Sangam Saranam Gachami dhujyam pi buddham saranam gacchami dharmam saranam gacchami dhujyam Sangam sangham saranam gacchami atyam pi buddham saranam gacchami Satyam Dharma dharmam saranam gacchami. Satyam Sangham sangam saranam gacchami.
1: Thank you so much, Edward. What a delight. You've incited and fired us with the dharma. <laughs> I don't know if I'm going to be able to sleep tonight. Thank welcome. you everybody for being here.
0: Yeah, you're welcome.
1: And we'll see you we'll see you tomorrow, okay? Take good care. All right. Good night.
0: Uh, is this good night? Can you can you um, I, I want to check with you about the, you know, the end of the time. I'll stay right here. i will stay there. Okay, thank you. Have a good okay. evening, everyone. Blessings.
1: <laughs> we
0: hope you enjoyed this episode. This podcast is made possible by donations from listeners like you. For more information or to donate, please go to www.zencenternorthshore.org. Thank you.